let me read these words again for us. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Paul describes a really radical and yet wonderful way of life for us where envy and jealousy and competition and comparison do not permeate our relationships. He describes a radical yet wonderful way of life where we all belong to each other. And we are all for each other. And we count each other's sufferings as our own suffering. And we count each other's victories as our own victories. And this can only happen in the church. This can only truly happen in the church, in Christ's body, where we are spiritually joined to Christ and spiritually joined to each other. But this takes a complete shift in our hearts in the way that we see each other. I mean, there, there's probably very few things that you have heard recently that might require a greater shift in your heart in how you see other people than these verses that we're looking at today. This is not how life really is out in the world. Uh, as Paul said, describing our pre-Christian experience, he said, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. People are not truly for one another out there. I mean, just read Twitter for 15 minutes. True oneness takes the miracle of God's love poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it takes each of us working diligently to keep or preserve this oneness in the Spirit. And where this revelation of oneness in Christ's body is not taught or practiced, churches can become places of gossip and criticism and division instead of this remarkable love and unity and acceptance. In fact, perhaps as I describe this unity that we have where there's no envy and jealousy, no competition and comparison permeating our relationships where we all belong to one another and we're all for each other and we all count each other's sufferings, our own suffering and each other's victories, our own victories. Uh, some people may recall, and I said that the only place that can happen in the, in the church, some people may have recalled some church experiences where that was not the case at all. But we are called to this wonderful and remarkable unity in the Spirit in the body of Christ. We are still individuals, uh, and in one sense, we each run our own race. We fight our own fight and we suffer our own trials, but that is not the whole story. And it would be wrong to view our Christian journey as solitary pilgrims struggling through life all on our own. 
Some people may actually find a certain appeal to the lonely life, but that's not quite right. We may feel like we are isolated and alone inside our own bodies, but Romans 12:5 says we are members of one another. So why do we suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who are honored? Uh, the next verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 tells us why. It says, because you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen. We are each a part of something bigger than ourselves. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We are joined in the spirit and by the spirit to each other. And God did that. I mean, it's a supernatural thing. We have a oneness that the world does not know, a, a oneness that the world cannot know. We are not just part of the same team. We are not just on the same side. We are actually a part of the same body. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the church is an organic, vital, living, spiritual union with Christ and with one another. And Christ's prayer is being answered where he prayed that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. John 17, 21. And I don't fully understand that. But I am to be in you or I'm, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say that again. I am to be one with you. I am to be one with you, and you are to be one with me as the Father is in the Son and as the Son is in the Father. I mean, that's, that's something deep, and it's mysterious. It's profound, the kind of oneness that we are to have with each other. And many wonderful things blossom in our relationships when we know that we are one with each other in this way. We begin to care deeply for one another. We begin to care genuinely for one another. We truly love each other. We are devoted to one another, as Paul said, in a brotherly affection. But one of the highest ways that we show that we belong to one another is that we enter into the sorrows and the joys of each other. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Uh, we feel that we are suffering when any one of us suffers. And we feel that we are being honored when any of us is being honored. And our hearts understand that. We come, we come to that kind of understanding in our heart. We, we begin to see each other in that way. We begin to feel that way about each other. Because we have come to know that we are members of Christ's body and members of one another. It's no, that's no longer just a, a doctrine or a teaching to us or words on a page. It, become, it becomes something that is actually in our heart. We, we understand that even though we can't explain it, even though we can't fully, fully understand it, we are mystically or spiritually joined to one another. We are not only spiritually joined to Christ. We are joined by the Spirit to one another. We are, we are, we are joined, we're attached uh, 
We're connected through Christ or through the body of Christ. And competition and resentment, comparison and envy and strife evaporate from our hearts when we truly see that we are a part of each other. And in our oneness in Christ, we simply belong to each other. We come to church or we gather and I feel that you belong to me and you feel that I belong to you. We are for each other. Uh, We come to church and we feel that we are coming home. We're at a place where where we, where we belong, where um, others, other people deeply love us and we understand that there is this heartfelt connection to one another. We are not here to impress one another. Uh, we stop comparing ourselves with each other. We stop thinking that we are better than others. And we stop being anxious or fearful that we don't measure up to others. In fact, we just plain stop thinking so much about ourselves. Uh, We begin to lose our excessive self-focus, our excessive self-consciousness. I loved uh, commentator uh, William Newell. He has a fantastic commentary on the book of Romans. And this verse, Romans 12, 15, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He begins his commentary on that verse by saying, Now, here is a verse that takes us out of ourselves. And I love that because it does. This verse, like few others, really pull us outside of ourselves. God puts us in the church. He makes us members of each other. And he frees us from ourselves and from thinking only or mainly about ourselves. And our love for one another and our oneness with with each other pull us out of ourselves to be engaged with others and how they are doing and even how they are feeling. We all know feelings of sorrow or joy in our own hearts for our own situations. But now because of the work of Christ, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we so belong to one another that we begin to enter into the drama, the sorrows and joys of one another, into their suffering and into their honor, into their, the things that they're celebrating as well as the things that they're discouraged or crying about. We're to be so closely intertwined with each other that we are not only aware of what is going on in each other's lives, but we begin to to deeply feel that with them. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, jealousy and envy are the big problems in our human relationships. And he said, the highest a natural person can attain to is to not show jealousy and envy they can't get rid of it the highest they can attain to is to not show jealousy and envy he said people smile and applaud one another and then they are envious and resentful plotting and scheming behind one another's backs 
But because the Spirit makes us one body, we aren't just trying to not show resentment and envy. We actually begin to feel joy for one another's honor or success. And Martin Lloyd-Jones ended this uh, comment by saying, you cannot help yourself because whatever happens to the other is really happening to you. But I, I love that we, we get to the point, and may the Spirit of God bring us to that point where we actually cannot help ourselves. We, we, just, we just spontaneously sorrow with those who sorrow and weep with them who weep and, and when somebody else is honored in some way we're, we're just, we just can't help ourselves we're happy for them we rejoice with them and the paradox is that we do much better spiritually and emotionally and psychologically we do better in every way ourselves living as members of one another in close community with one another and for as we live for one another, we, we do so much better ourselves. Uh, a pastor named Dennis McCallum, who I read uh, his book many years ago, Members of One Another, said that until we accept the relational and spiritual side of life, which he described as love with God and love with others, until we discover that that is where our fulfillment and satisfaction lie, we will continue to feel that other things are more important and we will refuse to let God and his people encroach into our time and affections beyond a minimal level. God made us for love. God made us to be in a deep, committed loving relationship with him and he made us to be in a deep committed loving relationship with each other where we belong to one another and where we are for one another and we need that we need that to do well we need this loving engagement with one another now i want to say some things this morning about our emotions since this ver verse uh, speaks so specifically to the emotional realm of our lives. And this may feel a little bit like a rabbit trail, but I'm going to come back to our core message. But I actually think it's pretty important to understand this when we talk about weeping with others and rejoicing with others. Uh, First, I think we must acknowledge that we are a people of sorrow and joy. God made us this way. We feel life deeply. I feel life deeply. You feel your life deeply. We feel both highs and lows. And whether we like it or not, we are emotional beings. There is suffering and honor. There's ups and downs, there's adversity and prosperity, and, and we feel that. Life affects us inwardly. And one of the ways that we connect to events and people and truth is with our emotions. And often, often we feel things even before we can understand them or put into words what we are going through. 
And you see that in little children. They feel life. They feel life as much as we do. They can't put it into words. They can't explain it. But they feel life with their emotions. Our emotions are constantly with us. Someone has said they are closer than our skin. I mean, there's, there's just hardly ever a moment, maybe except when you're in deep, deep, deep sleep in the middle of the night sometimes, there's just hardly ever a waking moment when we aren't feeling something. Our emotions are powerful. Uh, at times they, they come with great intensity. Having deep and strong feelings or expressing emotions is not inherently bad or weak or sinful. Uh, it's not more spiritual to express less emotion. And it's not necessarily more spiritual to express more emotion. But if you look at the New Testament, you will find godly people showing strong emotions and deep feelings. You know, when Paul left Ephesus, it says, after they all knelt down and prayed together, do you know what it says next? Next, it says they all wept openly. They all wept openly as they embraced Paul and kissed him. It was an emotional parting. There, there was sorrow, there was longing, there was deep feeling and affections. At Athens, uh, Luke said that Paul's spirit was provoked within him by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And I remember uh, a, a pastor speaking on this passage and he said, Paul was ticked off. I mean, that's what it means that Paul was provoked. Paul was ticked off. He, he felt strong emotions about these rivals to the true and living God being worshipped. Paul wrote to Timothy, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. That's 2 Timothy 1.4, the ESV. There's nothing wrong with shedding a tear with each other or in front of each other. In fact, there might be something more likely to be wrong if, if we don't or can't ever do that, if, if we aren't engaged with each other enough, if we aren't, don't have enough affection for each other to ever do that. It's a part of, of healthy love. It's a part of, being, of, of a healthy engagement with each other that, that we can shed a tear over one another or be filled with joy when we are reconnected with someone that we love. We have deep feelings because we were made, we are made in the image of God who has deep feelings. Uh, Randy Alcorn said, in scripture, God is said to enjoy, to love, laugh, take delight, and rejoice as well as be angry, happy, jealous, and glad. We should consider that our emotions are derived from God's. While we should always avoid creating God in our image, the fact remains that we are created in His. Therefore, 
our emotions are a reflection of God's emotions and sometimes because of our sin, a distortion of God's emotions. To be like God means to have and express emotions. And just, just think about it. Uh, Jesus was acquainted with grief. He wept over Jerusalem and over the death of Lazarus. It says that Jesus felt compassion for the crowds. It also says that Jesus was anointed with joy above all of his companions. He had more joy than everybody else, it says. Luke 10, 21 says, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he said he wanted his joy to be in us so that our joy may be complete or full or perfect. The Holy Spirit has emotions. We experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the primary fruits that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. The kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But we can also experience the grief of the Holy Spirit when, if we grieve Him when we allow bitterness in our hearts or speak harsh words to one another. We, we feel, he grieves and, and we feel His grief in those situations. But God fully understands you and your emotions. I mean, nobody else may, may fully understand you, but God, because he created you, because he is a God who has deep feelings, he understands all of your deep feelings, both your lows and your highs, your deep sorrow, and your greatest moments of joy. And he created you with the capacity to feel those things. And that does not mean that everything we experience in our emotions is just fine. Okay? This does not mean that we should let our emotions dominate our lives and decisions. In fact, a huge part of life is learning how to live with our emotions and to manage our emotions. And some of our emotions are fueled by sinful passions and ungodly thinking. And a big part of our sanctification, a big part of this process that every one of us who, who belong to Christ is going through right now today and tomorrow and this week and this next year and on until we die, a big part of the process of our sanctification is to be led by the Spirit in the realm of our emotions and to learn to walk in the new emotions imparted to us by the Spirit into our hearts. But the point is, and so I'm going to kind of pull us back to the, to the big point of this message, but the point is we are emotional beings. And we feel life deeply. And our emotions, our fears, and our happiness are such a significant part of who we are as people made in the image of God. Our emotions are such a significant part of who we are that because we are members of one another, we enter into the disappointments and pains and sorrows of others and into the happiness and joy and blessings of others. I mean, there's just, there's just no way that we can really be engaged with each other. There's no way that we can really live out this 
reality of being members of one another if we never connect with each other at the level of our true feelings, our emotions, or what is going on in our heart. And, and this takes a mighty work of the Holy Spirit to break down all the natural barriers, to get rid of the facades, all the pretenses, all of our, all of our pride, all of our thoughts of wanting to protect ourselves or look a certain way. And it takes a great work of the Spirit to, to, to move us more into this point where we, where we enter into the, the, the deep things that are going on in one another's heart. So we need to know more than just facts about each other, <laughs> like where you work or what you had for lunch. I mean, that's probably where our conversation started or, or, or how your team did last week or whatever. I mean, and those are, those are fun conversations to have, and, and we need to interact with each other at that level. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But we just need to, to grow in the Spirit and through the help of the Holy Spirit in moving beyond that into what's really going on inside of you. We need to become interested, truly interested in what is going on in each other's hearts. I mean, we can say, hey, how you doing? And sort of almost communicate it that all we want is a one-word answer. Or we can say that and communicate that, that we really want to know, that we really want to take time to hear. And I don't know if too many people are, that are better at that than Mike Sheeks. I mean, he'll come up to you and just ask you how you're really doing. And you know he wants to s sit there and, and really listening. It's just, it's amazing when we take that kind of interest in one another. Parents, uh, we need to take time not only to hear what our kids are saying, but also to understand how they are feeling. Uh, Paul said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I know it's not the main point of that verse, but that verse communicates that we are to be aware of your children's emotions and don't unnecessarily frustrate them to the point of anger. And again, that doesn't mean we should, that doesn't mean we should pamper bad attitudes or bad behavior. No, I'm not saying that at all. But children have emotions just like us. And we need to take that into consideration as we Discipline them and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Before we give answers to people, even, even good Bible answers, we need to show people that we care about what they are experiencing on the inside. I remember a time where we... This is very early on in the church, although I've, this, uh, this is an experience that gets repeated an awful lot, but I remember very early on in our church, we had a, a couple that Cindy and I were dear friends with that um, left, our, left the church and just broke my heart. And um, uh, one of the other couples in the church that we were also very good friends with came, and the first thing that he quoted was Romans 8.28, all things work together for good, which is a tremendous truth, but I just wasn't quite ready to hear, hear that yet. I, I just 
I needed somebody that, yeah, <laughs> that understood how, how wounded I was yes. by that. You know, Jesus wept for Lazarus and Mary and Martha even though he knew he had the answer to Lazarus' death. It's kind of an amazing passage. Why would Jesus weep like that? Um, when he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and kind of solve everything, at least for a while, for a few years. Uh, but he did. He, he wept with them and for them. I think everybody has heard about the principle that when wives share a problem with their husbands, they, they don't want a glib, detached, three-step solution. They want their husbands to understand what they're going through. And they want their husbands to understand how they feel on the inside about what has just happened. They want... Yes, they want a solution, but they want to feel that, that you know how this has impacted them as they work toward a solution. And so certainly this admonition to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, I mean, it, it has huge application for all of our relationships. I mean, Paul is writing this primarily about our relationships with, within the church family. I mean, this is... This is to have huge impact on the way that we relate in the church family, but it, it certainly has application for how we relate to one another as husbands and wives, um, friends, uh, parents and children. Uh, every single relationship is to be affected by this unbreakable spiritual truth and this unyielding uh, command from the Lord to enter into the tears of others and also enter into their joys. Some examples from Scripture will, uh, I think, help us see what this looks like. And one of the ones that came to my mind this week uh, about kind of a negative example of, of how of not rejoicing with others when we should rejoice with them, of course, is the prodigal son. And when the prodigal son came home, uh, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. All right, what was the, what was the father doing to his son who had returned home? He was honoring him. This son was being honored. Okay, and what are we supposed to do when someone is being honored? When any one of us is being honored, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be glad with them. We're supposed to rejoice with them. The father said, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music 
and the dancing. But what did the older son do? It says the older brother became angry and refused to go into the house. So the older brother, he refused to rejoice with his father. I mean, the father was elated about his son coming home. And the older brother refused to rejoice with his father, and he refused to rejoice in his brother being honored. We are not to be like that. I mean, that's the main thing you can learn from this example of the, of the, of the older brother. We are not to be like that. It is really selfish and mean-spirited to rain on other people's parade. Uh, there's, there's an old kind of a big band sound. Luke, I'm sure you'll know it. Who's the guy that sings that? that I can't think of his name, but some people get their kicks raining on other people's parade. Um, anyway, I always, I always get a kick out of that line. But we're not to be that way. If we rain on other people's parade, it, it reveals that we need a, a new work of grace in our heart. It reveals that we need to learn how to rejoice when others are honored. And so if you have a, a tendency to let other celebrations turn your, your heart toward self-pity or resentment, you know, ask God to do a, a brand new work in you about that. And then here's a good example of rejoicing with others. Uh, when Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, Luke 1.58 says, And her neighbors and relatives, and when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, what did they do? They rejoiced with her. And this is the way it should be in the, bod in the body of Christ. We hear of someone experiencing some great blessing or some great mercy and we're to go rejoice with them. Or Luke 15, 8. This is from a parable. Jesus said, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. She lights a lamp and sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And when I read that, I thought, she must have had some good neighbors and friends. She knew, she knew that those were people who would be happy for her. She knew they were people that would rejoice with her. So she called them up and said, hey, come on over. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Let's rejoice together. And they did. They came over and rejoiced with her, I'm sure. We all want others to rejoice with us when we rejoice. And one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other is to enter into one another's joy. I mean, we, all, we all have plenty of ups and downs. And those, those ups are pretty precious. And when we have those moments of joy, it's just a, it's just a huge gift that we can give to, to that person if we go and, and just um, 
break out in celebration with them and be genuinely happy with them. And then here are some examples of sorrowing with those who sorrow. Hebrews 13.3, remember those who are in prison as though though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So if you know of somebody that is in some, some really bad situation like prison, which was a reality for New Testament times, Um, or being mistreated, it says. Remember those people um, just like you were going through the same thing since you are also in the body. You know, someone that you know has suffered uh, a hard situation or suffered a a long time in some situation, we... We should feel deeply for them and and we should often think of them as though it were ourselves. We should pray for them and and seek some way of of encouraging them or lightening their load in some way. And then Job said when he was appealing to God for kind of the, the... the fact that he had had lived an upright life, you know, that he was getting slammed by his friends, uh, telling him he must be this really terrible, rotten guy because, uh, because of the suffering that he was going through. And Job's response was, have I not wept for the one whose life is hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? I mean, Job's putting that forth as an example of true and sincere righteousness when, when we weep for the one whose life is hard or when we are grieved for the one who is needy. And so Job's righteousness was demonstrated by the way he entered into the sorrow of others. And I mean, that's, that's one of the ways that, that, we, that we live a righteous life the, the, as the righteousness of Christ is worked into us more and more we're going, to get, we're going to get outside of ourselves and get into other people's minds and heart and be able to uh, weep for them or grieve for the needy, as Job said. And again, I said earlier, one of the greatest gifts that we can give one another is to rejoice with someone when they are celebrating something or when they're honored or have some kind of success or blessing or mercy. And in the same way, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to someone is to go cry with them when they're sad, when they are in some kind of deep sorrow. Probably the best gift gift you can give them is just just to go weep with them, shed tears with them. Then I'm going to share just a few uh, comments in closing uh, that the Lord put on my heart. This verse gives us a really important reason to faithfully meet together. You know, we've talked about that. How, and the, Part of the series is that we are, we're members of one another, but not in some just out there sort of way where we become committed to one another in a local church family. We become engaged with a deep relationships with actual people. And God calls us to that. And this verse, or these two verses that we, that we 
have for our scripture today really gives us very important reasons to faithfully meet together. I mean, if, if we are going to bear one another's burdens, we have to know what those burdens are. Um, if we're going to weep with those who weep, we, we have to know what people are going through. And the same with if they're being honored in some way. And we do that by being engaged with, engaged with one another in a church body, in a church family. And as, as we're here together, not, perhaps not only in, on a Sunday morning, but in smaller, small groups or phone calls, whatever, as we rub shoulders with one another, as, we're, as we see each other face-to-face through different situations, we, we put ourselves in a situation where, where we can uh, find out what other people are going through and become engaged with one another's lives and it's a challenge I mean it's not easy and it's something we can definitely grow in but it's it it starts by simply being around each other I mean if we're not even around each other it's really hard for these things to happen at all and especially to happen on a deep and consistent level and I would also say this if if you are the one who is weeping today, maybe, or any, any week or day or Sunday morning, if, if you're the one who's weeping, come so others can weep with you. Yes. And I'll, I'll never forget when Deanne came to church, I think it was the very next day after her son was killed. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I saw Deanne there. But she said, where else would I go? And she, she came so in her sorrow, in her deep sorrow, and we could weep with her. We could sorrow with her. If you're celebrating something, come so we can celebrate with you. The church should be a safe place that you can bring either your tears or your blessings. And it should be a place where where you can bring those and you're going to have people cry with you or you're going to, you're going to have people just praise God yes. with you. Secondly, uh, don't, don't use this verse to become an accuser or to put a demand on others to understand you and what you are going through. Um, this is, this is a word to each of us to enter into the sorrows and joys of others. And as we do that, there will be plenty of opportunities for people to enter into what we're going through. And others will understand our sorrows and joys as we're faithfully engaged with them in the body. But the focus is for us to, to get pulled out of ourselves and enter into the joys and tears of others. And, you know, one thing I hear people say uh, through the years, not, just, not so much about real life church, but just people will, uh, they'll, they'll say things like, well, that church is really uncaring or that church is really unloving. They're just kind of, just kind of throw this, this blame and accusation out there 
And I heard one guy, one guy say, some, some, when some, a woman said, well, you know, there's, there's just no love at that church. He said, well, there should be. You were there. And that's, that's kind of the point here that don't, don't kind of take this verse and, and say, well, other people aren't doing this. Okay, you see what I mean? And it's very easy to do. It's very easy to take a verse like this and say, well, uh, start accusing the church or this group or that person. They don't do that very well. Well, that's not what this verse is for. <laughs> it's for you to examine your heart and see how am I doing in weeping with other people? How am I doing with being glad when other people are honored? That's, that's the focus we need to keep. And then finally, we just need to prayerfully consider how we can do this better, don't we? Yes. I mean, we just need to prayerfully consider how we can go deeper with others and become more engaged with others in the church body, how we can become more engaged at the, at the level of our affections uh, with one another. And so my prayer this morning is that we would, we would all, as a church, Individually and all together, just surrender our lives to the ministry of serving one another, to the ministry of loving one another through weeping with each other and rejoicing with each other. And God made us for that kind of love relationship with each other. So let's pursue that. You know, let's go after that. There's, there's a verse, I can't, Think of the reference where Paul, I think it was to the Thessalonians, uh, Paul said, you guys are doing really good at loving one another, but I want you to excel still more. And I would feel that way about real life church. I, I think you guys do really good at engaging with one another and feeling for one another and having the sense that, you, that we belong to one another and that we are for one another. But let's excel still more in that. Let's do a whole lot better. Let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to build this into our lives more and more and more. All right, let's stand and we'll close with prayer.